Hi, welcome to Missouri Made, the podcast that gives you an insider look at Missouri politics. I'm State Representative Deb Lavender, representing District 90, Kirkwood-Glendale area of the St. Louis County. Good morning. Today I'm here with Hannah Hall, is my chief of staff, my intern. She's been fabulous this session. And so, Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, I'm excited to be here today talking a little bit about criminal justice reform in Missouri and what our Department of Corrections is doing. I've had the opportunity to spend some time with the reentry team at the Department of Corrections, um, and I'm excited about what we have to share today. Good. I'm going to remind everybody that we're still in the Capitol and there's still a lot of noises around us. We're about 9 o'clock on Thursday morning, so there's a little bit more activity around us, so there may be some more noise that you hear. It is May 2nd. Uh, We are two weeks and one day from the end of session, so we constitutionally end session on the second Friday following the first Monday of May, and so this year that is May 17th. So I'm happy today. uh, My chief of staff, Hannah Hall, is going to be talking with me today about justice reinvestment prison populations and what the state of Missouri is doing and has done over the last couple of years to reduce our prison population. I know as a legislator a year ago, we were told if we didn't start reducing population in our prisons, we would have to build a new jail. A new jail would cost us $500 million. When I don't think I have enough money to help people with disabilities get back into bed at night, We don't have enough money to transport students to school five days a week, only four days a week. When we don't have enough money to repair bridges that are in emergency um, situations, I certainly don't think we have $500 million to build a new prison. And fortunately, many people are starting to realize the rate of incarceration in this nation has gone up substantially since the mid-80s and 90s. The three strikes you're out, the tough on crime. Well, we're all realizing, and and there's an adage in life that the solutions we find for the problems today are tomorrow's problems. So the solution we all came up with for crime in the 80s and 90s is now the problem that we're dealing with today. Yes, we want to be tough on crime. Yes, we don't want criminals wandering our streets. But I think we went so far to one end that we left common sense out of the equation in how we were putting people into prison, especially the three strikes are out. A quick story is we had a gentleman in Missouri, all three offenses were related to marijuana, possession, never selling, never um, being a dealer, three um, occasions when he was arrested having marijuana, and in the third time, so three strikes are out, was sentenced to life in prison in Missouri for possession of marijuana. Fortunately, Governor Nixon pardoned him, no, uh, gave him the opportunity to be eligible for parole a couple of years ago, and fortunately the parole board realized that his sentence was excessive and he's now been let out of jail, but that's the kind of common sense we just left out of the three strikes and you're out uh, situations that we did. All right, so a couple of years ago, and it was a two or three year project, the legislature worked on rewriting Missouri's criminal code. And in doing that, it reduced some penalties, it it made crimes lesser value, so then there's not as much uh, time in jail. 
So that all by itself looks as if it's starting to decrease the uh, prison inmates that we have here in Missouri. Mm -hmm. Governor Parsons in January told us that he was closing a prison. So the population has decreased to such a degree, and this is over on the west side of the state. I believe the two prisons were moderately close to each other. And they are in the process of transferring um, prisoners from one to the other. And why don't we say closing it down, they'll mothball it. I, I don't know how long it gets mothballed for. Hopefully we'll never have to go back in and reopen it as a prison. But so that's happening there. And then another thing that we've done last year, we gave Director Presythe, Director of our Department of Corrections, $5 million for just, uh, justice reentry, uh, justice reentry. And it is trying to facilitate and support people who get out of jail to have success in being on probation and then success in life. One of my first stories when I was running for office, I was at a debate and a woman came up to me, she was 35 or 40, and she said, when can I stop calling myself a felon? And I looked at her with a puzzled look and she said, when I was 18, I did something stupid. I know it was stupid. I went to jail, I served two years in jail, and I've come out and I've been straight and clean since then. When can I stop calling myself an ex-felon? And it hit me very substantially that we really don't as a nation forgive people who've been in jail. And having to carry the ex-felon title with you alters all of your opportunities. And Hannah, I think you're gonna tell us a little bit more about that in a minute. If you have to check that box on an employment application, on an apartment application, on a loan application, on a school, form for your children. It just haunts you for forever. And many of us do stupid things when we're 18. Fortunately, many of us aren't caught, but those who are doing something stupid that then is also illegal, spending time in jail is unfortunately something that can haunt them forever. And so I think we're trying to look at some of that now as a legislature. We're happy that Republicans on our, are on board. Democrats have kind of championed this topic for years, and now it's become a fiscal problem, $500 million for a new jail, the amount of money that we're paying to incarcerate people that are addicted to, or to opioids, so we're putting them in jail instead of putting them in uh, drug treatment situations. So fortunately, we're starting to get a lot smarter about a lot of this. So Hannah, I know you, went on a trip to Kansas City the other day. Yes. Go ahead and tell us about that. Um, so on Monday, I went with the Department of Corrections to Kansas City, and the department was at a conference, and they gave a presentation on reentry. And everything that we're talking about, the changes that we're making, the goal that we have in Missouri is to have citizens who are able to reenter society and who are able to succeed. And that is kind of the mindset that you look at all of the things that they're doing from. And one of the steps in that is to have more of the general population understand what it means to be an offender and then to re-enter into society. So we did a re-entry simulation where everybody who was in the room with us was introduced to what the reentry team of the Department of Corrections does, and then they were given a sentence of how long they had been 
in a Missouri prison, and then they were given a certain amount of resources. Those resources were time, they were favors, um, a number of times you could go to a program or service, and those resources were capped, and various people clearly have various amounts of resources, various amounts of support that they can rely on when they are going through reentry. So let's stop for a sec. So some people actually get out of prison, and they have still an incredibly good supportive family. Right. So that would be a resource that an individual would have if they have a supportive family. Right. But we also know an awful lot of people who've been in prison don't have the support of a family. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't have the support of a family which caused them to be in trouble to begin with. So now, you know, you might literally be left out of prison totally on your own. And so that would be a lack of resource in that category versus right. somebody who has a good supportive family. Yeah. And of course, the longer that someone has been in prison, the harder it is going to be to reassimilate um, to society. And a lot of what we're talking about in the legislature is our mandatory minimum sentences that the United States and Missouri in particular has really high minimums for crimes that are nonviolent or that we don't really need to be incarcerating people for. So that's a factor as well, right. that it is just hard to come yep. back after so long. Let's talk about another resource that somebody might have when they're out of jail. Uh, I think of education or skills that they might have. Mm -hmm. So that would be another skill that they might have, whether before they were incarcerated during the time period that they were incarcerated or perhaps very soon after if they do something educationally if they get some form of degree, if they have some skill. Mm -hmm. um, I believe in some of our prisons there's a uh, workshop, uh, work, not workshop, um, carpentry type shop. Um, we frame resolutions here from the house and those frames come from um, inmates who make those. I know they make furniture and a, a wide variety of other products. So there is the opportunity to learn skills. Right, they in, have, you know, done a really great job of increasing the different programs that we have available. It's obviously a work in progress. They have pilot programs that they're trying for the, the first time. Um, Aspire Missouri is a program that we have in Vandalia Prison, which is an entrepreneurship program for women, and they are learning all the things you need to consider when starting a business, and so that they have that skill and are prepared um, to make some you know, good decisions when they're out in the community. Right. And I think maybe let's just back up half an inch. We're certainly not talking about the most serious of crimes. We're certainly not talking about the murders that occur or things in the nature of that. We're talking about relatively minor offenses. And I say that even, uh, you know, concerned that I don't want people to think burglary or assault, um, that we don't feel that those are offenses worthy of being jailed, but I'm not sure they're worthy of a lifetime of then not being able to support yourself. So while you're in prison, right. I think the opportunity to better yourself, to gain skills, to gain education, to gain knowledge, uh, that's the rehabilitation that we talk about. Mm -hmm. That's why theoretically we send people to jail is to rehabilitate them. But I think for so long in our nation, we're not rehabilitating people, we're punishing them. Right. And inside of our prison situation, we've all heard of stories of the cruelty to inmates, not that there's not cruelty back to the guards, and I always want to be supportive of uh, our prison uh, employees, that they feel supported in the jobs they're doing. They're hard jobs. They can be dangerous. I certainly want to be supportive of people who work in our prison systems, 
but I also want to bring some humanity back into those situations as well. Right. You know, some of the crimes that we may be talking about are serious, and some people may need to go to jail for a certain amount of time. But if you think about, you know, once again, going back to whatever we do, the goal that we're doing is to reduce crime. Nobody likes crime. We all want to reduce it. But if we are taking people, removing them from society for so long and not providing them with any skills, the end result is going to be more crime. Nobody wants to go back to prison. And so if we want to create a better society, what we need to, to do is connect them with the resources so that they have the ability to make better decisions. Recently, 60 Minutes had, um, they went to Norway, Sweden, and talked about prisons, and even people found guilty of murder. The entire goal was to bring them in, rehab them, and send them back out on the street. And it really did look much more um, college campus type of prison situations. I don't know if I ever saw that there were wires around the very outside perimeter fences, but it very look lo- very much looked like uh, people had freedom of movement. They weren't necessarily locked in a cell versus maybe what looked a little bit more like a dorm room, and that there really was a sense of let's rehab this person um, for whatever reasons they committed whatever crime, but just a stark contrast to what um, America does. Right. in our, our prison po- populations mm-hmm. and in our jails. So. Yeah, but which has started to change. Um, yep. Since we went through um, the Justice Reinvestment Project and we passed a House bill um, last year in 2018 in order to start changing some of our practices, and we have had a reduction in our prison population. Missouri still has a relatively high incarceration rate, but what we're seeing is a reduction in our incarceration in our incarceration rate, um, at a level that is much higher than the national average. So while we have these struggles, we are moving in the right direction, um, which is really exciting to yep. see in Missouri. All right. So now let me take you back. I interrupted your telling us. So you're in a simulation. Yes. And everybody there was given, I'm going to say a packet. Sure. And inside of your packet, you had information that what your crime was, how long you served. But then you had cards or that told you what your resources were. Now, now we've talked a little bit about resources, family, education. Are there other resources? Mm -hmm. And then some of the other resources are programs and services. We know that you know we have programs available if you need assistance with medication, if you need assistance with clothing. Those programs exist, but they have limited funding. So while you may be able to utilize those, you can only go to them so often. Okay. And in a simulation, that holds true as well. All right. And then, then you said favors. What, what would a favor be? A favor would be if you have a supportive family or a friend system and you can ask them, hey, I have an appointment with my probation parole officer. I don't have a car. My driver's license has been revoked. Can you help me get there? Yeah. It's, it's simple, and yet it can be the hurdle that truly has somebody violate parole. Right. I believe a lot of our incarceration is people who violated parole. Right. Well, my sitting at home, when I hear somebody violated their parole, I think they're out committing another crime. Right. And the violation of parole could be something as simple as they didn't get to a parole hearing 
and they didn't get to a parole hearing because they don't have a car, they don't have a driver's license, they didn't have child support, Right. they couldn't get there. So there really are some good, legitimate reasons why somebody might not get to their parole hearing, mm-hmm. and yet that technically puts them into a violation of parole, which truly can land them back in jail. Right. All right. So a favor would be calling my friend, calling my family, can you mm-hmm. watch my kid, right. can you give me a ride, something along those lines. Right. So then we move through several steps and, you know, the simulation takes place over theoretically what would be your first two weeks back in the community. So you have to go to the store and you have to buy clothes. How do you get to the store? You have to use money cards. You have to ask a favor. The next step is you need to renew your medication prescription. How do you do that? You don't have a job. You've been in the community for three days. What is that like for you? Mm-hmm. I know the next step is getting to a parole hearing, mm-hmm. you know, getting to that meeting. And you go through all of these different steps. Well, and let me even stop you back. And yeah. so how about where are they going to live and how will they eat? Right. So let's take, I'm sure there are people that the scenario is very much they don't have family. There's not a room waiting for them mm-hmm. when they get out of jail. Right, or if there is, maybe they have a family member who's allowing them to stay there for two weeks, and then they need to move on. And it's lacking that stability while you're trying to look for a job and you're trying to do all of these things, Um, and you just have different situations that are kind of working against you in that way. Um, And so we went through various steps like that that are just the basic things you have to do to make it through your first two weeks in community, and... What we learned is that for some people, the amount of resources they were given, it was nearly impossible. It didn't matter how you budgeted your money or your favors or the services that are provided. It was truly difficult for anybody to make it through those first few weeks. Um, And then what that simulation does is starts the conversation of, okay, we know that we have justice-involved individuals who are reentering the community. We know they might have done something wrong, but if our goal is to have them be better members of our community and to have them succeed, then we need to think of what we're doing. We might have resources available. We need to figure out how to connect people to resources. Right, right. The resource being in town A and the person living in town B doesn't help the person get to the resources in town A. Right. Yes. Or even, you know, in Missouri, the United States, we have a lot of private services that are contracted by public entities and because our services are coming from so many different places we don't always communicate very well right we don't always know that you know this nonprofit offers this service and it's two blocks away and that could really help somebody out right and it is challenging I I served on a commission in the St. Louis County years ago uh, that was to help um, housing and help in homeless situations and we had money that came in through real estate transactions and we were able to give that out to organizations in the community. And I've often felt that you have all of these, I call them little you know, dots, um, homes, houses, storefronts, right. and nobody knows about anybody else. Right. And so how do we put up one umbrella that brings everybody under that umbrella, um, help, and I don't know if they've talked about I'm going to use the word social worker because that's what I'm familiar of through my occupation, is everybody who's let out of jail who doesn't have a good support system given a social worker to say, hey, Bob, 
here and here and here are resources for you that mm -hmm. you can use that are inside of where you're going to live. I know the Department of Corrections has tried to help set up reentry homes in mm -hmm. Kansas City where they're doing some of this. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're, in order to be released, you're required to submit a home plan. And so for a while, the moment you're released, they know theoretically where you're going to go. But like I said, a lot of those aren't permanent. It might fall through. And so it's connecting with people as they're reentering and staying connected so that they can have support when they need it. And if they have a situation with their home, you address that instead of them having a situation with their home, losing their job, needing food for their children, and then stealing from a store. Right. It, yeah, it's complicated. I'm happy Missouri's looking at it. Uh, it's always going to be complicated. It probably always has been. I think in looking at um, the prison population, we had Chief Justice of Missouri Supreme Court talk to the legislature earlier this year, and the phrase most of us remember that he said is, we have to stop being mad at people who are in jail. It's time to forgive them. It's time to be able to... Uh, deal with them rationally instead of you broke the law I'm mad at you I'm gonna keep you in jail for as long as I can right certainly again not to um, take any appropriateness out of the serious crimes that occur we're not talking about those we're talking about more the the low-level crime the criminal the addictions you know for me the sadness of becoming addicted to medication, I'm sorry, to the opioids, let's say, or heroin or alcohol, and all of a sudden your addiction creates needs that causes you to rob a store. Well, you're not a theft, you're attempting to uh, um, feed a habit, feed an addiction. Mm -hmm. And when we can realize that the way we're going to have success is getting that person unaddicted the criminal behavior goes away. Right. But that's not what we've been addressing. Right. Or even, you know, when we start having treatment facilities, we have treatment f facilities inside of our prisons, but we know that community-based treatment is way more effective. So then it's making that transition. It's saying if you have someone who's addicted, we want to find a community-based treatment plan instead of sometimes we do send people to jail to get treatment. And if we could send them to their community to get treatment, it would be a better situation right. for everybody involved. Right. And I think we're starting to realize that we've been passing some legislation and putting some money towards treatment courts. So now if you are arrested of theft or burglary or something along those lines, in order to feed your addiction, we can send you through a treatment court, which I believe is at least six months, if not a year, that you do need to show up, you need to be clean, and they do urine tests to make sure of that. I think they support you in jobs and education and training. And if you get through the program, and I do believe it's at least six months, if not a year, then you're released on probation from being in this program so that there's not jail time for those minor criminal activities that you know are drug-related. Right. So, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things, and... The legislature and the department each have a lot of different initiatives that they're working on, but what is unifying them all is that we've realized we're incarcerating too many people, and we want to find an effective way to reduce our prison populations and create safe, create safer communities. Well, I think that's terrific. I'm um, 
very appreciative of your having reached out to the Department of Correction. I know you've taken two trips. Yep. One was to the uh, Vandalia mm -hmm. to visit the women's prison, and yep. as you mentioned lightly, that there's an entrepreneur program yeah. up there teaching women how to create small businesses, how they can be successful with that when right. they are released. And then the opportunity you took to go to Kansas City the other day where you went through this simulation, which I think that brings such value there are simulations that legislatures have done is living on food stamps for a month mm -hmm. and being given the amount of money that our low-income families have for food and being asked to live on that for a month's time right. to really bring home how challenging and how difficult that is for people to do. Right. Along the same lines of connecting resources, it's connecting understanding. Yes. When the legislature understands what the department does and understands what the people involved with that department go through, I think that we can work together to create legislation that makes a lot more sense for Missouri. I do too. Well, thank you for um, sharing with us your experience and what's going on inside of this arena. I hope as a state we continue to pass some legislation that continues to um, be more reasonable with common sense on how we sentence people, how we imprison them, and more than anything else, how we allow them to reincorporate into society. Yes, Good. thank you for having me today. Thank you, all right. Please subscribe to the podcast. We'll have a new episode each week. Follow me on Facebook and on Twitter at Deb Lavender. We'll have a website for you where you can find all of our episodes, videos from the Capitol, and more. Thank you for listening.